everyone, Alexa here, and welcome to Murder in the Mountains. This week we have special guests. We have my brother, Adam, and his wife, my sister-in-law, Holly. Say hi, you guys. Hey, y'all. Howdy. <laughs> Alrighty. So this week's episode takes place in West Valley City, Utah, which is a suburb of Salt Lake City. In the 2010 census, the population of West Valley City was 129,480 people, making it the second largest city in Utah. So to fully understand the people in this case, I'm going to give a lot of background. Okay. All right. So uh, Joshua Powell was born on January 20th, 1976 in Washington. His parents, Terika and Stephen Powell, had a rough marriage, to say the least. Terika was a follower of the Church of Latter-day Saints, and Steve used to be a member, but then completely refused the church. This caused major issues, and the couple ended up filing for divorce in 1992. In the divorce filings, Terika claimed that her husband shared pornography with their son, Josh, and his two brothers. (laughs) <laughs> what a dad yeah dad of the year um he subjected josh to harsh discipline but he said he began to lose control of him as a teenager because he was now larger and stronger than him steve also shared with his sons his theory that people were just animals and men should be able to have sex with whoever they want he also admitted in his journals that he was attracted to his daughter jennifer and wrote about it in his journal saying, she once walked around the house in just a t-shirt and panties. Man, that drove me wild. And that was his daughter. That's disgusting. Okay. And I just want to point out that both Steve and Josh kept physical and recorded journal entries. Like they would record it like on tape recorder and on video camera. So we have a lot of insight into their personal thoughts. Um, It's really freaking weird. Just wait. So to put it lightly... Josh Powell was a troubled child. He killed his little sister's gerbil with a knife and made her touch the blood. He was also caught with his brother, John, examining his little sister. Examining, in quotation marks. When he was 13, he threatened his mom with a butcher knife after she asked him to do the dishes. And he said, don't push it, mom. When he was 14... He tried to hang himself, but he was unsuccessful. So all of that led up to when he was 16 and his parents divorced. He bounced between living with each of his parents who went back and forth in his faith. Like he'd be a devout member of the LDS church. And then other times he would just stray and think it's stupid. He also had. Uh, I got. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. I'm just trying. My mind is a little blown with how disturbing this already is. Well, Share any comments you may have. We're going to need a recap here soon. Okay. Well, if you need one, just ask. So Josh had pretty terrible luck with the ladies. His most serious relationship was a woman named Catherine. Things were all fine and dandy until he became crazy controlling of her, not letting her visit her family unless he was with her, among other things. Now, Josh is the dad or is he the son? He's the son. Steve is the dad. He's the dad. Yeah. That shared the pornography with Josh. Yes. And now that's probably where his troubles began. And Josh is the one right. that tried committing suicide but failed. Yes. Okay. Okay. 
So his relationship with Catherine ended when she did go visit her family without Josh. And she just told him, I'm not coming back. Um, So good on her. So in October 2000, Josh met Susan Cox at a seminary type thing for young people to like grow their faith. She was 19 and he was 24. So Susan and Josh had actually met earlier, like years earlier, when Josh went to her house to see her sister, Mary. And Josh had a habit of striking out with one sister and moving on to another sister or cousin or whoever. That's one way to do it. Keeping it in the family, I guess. Yeah. So Susan Cox was born on October 16th, 1981 in Alamogordo, New Mexico to Judy and Chuck Cox. The family were members of the LDS church, just like the Powells, but they were super devout. A month after they met, uh, they met again at a dinner party at Josh's house. After dinner, she offered to help him do the dishes, and they both said that this is where they both knew that each other was the one. He pretty much was like, oh, she's going to do the dishes and stuff. She's a good one. She'll clean the house. Sounds like you. Kind of misogynistic, but okay. (laughs) What are you trying to say about yourself? (laughs) She's like, oh, that sounds like you. And you're like, he sounds like a straight tool. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, Susan went to cosmetology school and then also worked a second job at the JCPenney jewelry counter. A few weeks after dating, he asked Susan to help him pick out a ring for his mom, and she agreed. They found a ring, and he asked her to buy it for him with her employee discount, so she did. Turns out the ring wasn't for his mother. It was Susan's engagement ring that he asked her to pay for with her <laughs> employee oh, discount. Oh, wait, did he pay for it? I he thought ended she up, He ended up paying her back for it, but she bought her own engagement ring with her employee discount. What a keeper. Yeah. So after only dating for like eight weeks in January 2001, Josh proposed to Susan and she said yes. The couple got married in April of that year in an LDS temple. A rule in the LDS community is that nobody that isn't in good standing with their faith can enter the temple. So that left Steve not being able to see the ceremony and he had to wait outside. Literally just stood outside the church while his son got married. Shortly after they got married, they moved into Josh's dad's house in Washington to save money and to pay off some debt. Josh had like racked up a ton of debt um, when he was with Catherine and he didn't really have a job. And so Susan was basically like paying off his debts. Um, and they had very little privacy. They were living in the living room and just like had it sectioned off by like hanging sheets up. So privacy was the least of their worries because little did Susan know that her father-in-law, Steve Powell, was obsessed with her. Oh, this is going creepy. <laughs> just you wait. Already creepy. So Steve would follow Susan around the house with a camcorder. He also used a small mirror to spy on her while she used the bathroom. Wait, he, so his, the dad, Steve, lived with them? I must they, have that. They moved into Steve's house after they got oh, married to gotcha. save money. Yeah. And pay off you just said that. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yep. I missed it. Um, so he used a small mirror to spy on her while she used the bathroom. He stole her underwear from her laundry and he read her journals. So he had a full-blown 
really freaking creepy romantic obsession fantasy thing about Susan. And is Steve someone who also had a crush on his own daughter? Yes. All right. Well, no way would I be moving in with my father-in-law if he was like that, but okay. You're assuming she knew that. Yeah, she I didn't know. know. Probably not something that's you share. True. You probably people. don't know that. Okay. Yeah. So no. later on, he noted in his own journal how he knew Josh and Susan's relationship was rocky and he wished he would just leave his son and be with him. Okay. Now, but if you're being followed around with a camcorder, she would just kind of thought like that he was, he liked his new toy. He was, it's just how mm-hmm. he was. Cause I mean, Josh recorded himself too. So maybe okay. she just thought it was a thing. I don't know. Okay. okay. It gets weirder. So as I mentioned previously, Susan was in cosmetology school. So she had to practice various beauty rituals. One of them was waxing. So she had waxed her legs and a week later, they were still pretty hairless. She showed Steve because she was proud of it. He of course recorded this conversation on his camcorder because he was a creep. Okay. <laughs> it won't be an understatement. Yeah. So in another instance, Susan wasn't feeling well and Steve offered her a foot and neck massage and Susan agreed. But I mean, does I, Susan have a crush on the dad too? No, she was very naive. Like, Just let your father-in-law massage you? I guess. Like, I don't know if she, I don't know. But it was it was definitely one-sided. Okay. So, not surprisingly, Steve, later that day, made a video diary entry detailing the massage. He made this video as he was sitting on the edge of a bed undressing. I have the, uh, some of the audio, so I'm going to play it for you so you get, like, a feeling of how freaking creepy this is. Okay? Do it. All right. I just had... Was probably the most erotic experience I've had in my entire life. I just hate to say it. I mean, of course, I haven't had that many experiences, but Susan has been feeling ill. She had a cold. And I offered to rub her feet, to rub her toes, to give her some stimulation. That went on. I probably rubbed her feet. Her toes are beautiful feet. She has such pretty feet. Of course, everything about her is pretty beautiful. And I know she felt it. I mean, I know she she couldn't have missed it. She's not naive either. I know from what I've read in her her journals. Um, That girl is very naive. I started massaging her legs. I would love to go all the way up her legs, but I did do her calves. Because her feet were resting in my crotch, so I sort of rubbed her calves. She didn't seem to mind at all having me that close. I mean, I was close. I was touching her with my crotch. Then I just started rubbing her back and her neck. So I'm going to stop it there. What a pervert. (laughs) I wish you could see our face right now. (laughs) 
within the first couple of seconds, Adam's face, like his jaw just dropped and just guy started blinking. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So let's just hear your thoughts on everything so far. I don't know. Okay. Well, that. obviously he's a pervert and, but then again, like, come on, like with is Susan, right? Yes. Sorry. I'm really bad with names. Um, I would not have an encounter with that with my in-laws. I think if it got to that point, if it was the way he was describing it, I would probably move out of the house. So at that point they had moved into their own house and he was visiting. And where was the son? Or the husband? Not there. But there were other instances where he's like, oh, I had to watch myself because Josh was sitting right there. Like with things he would say and all that stuff. And there's another video of Josh's graduation from college. And instead of like recording his son, he was like recording Susan and like zooming in on her butt and stuff. Yeah. So he is like... A wackadoodle. <laughs> <It's> disgusting. Because <laughs> obviously she's like younger than his son too. Her, yeah, his son too. There's so there's five year age gap between the son and her, but the father and oh. her. Think of that age difference. I mean, that's disgusting on its own too. Yes. Okay. So, so it gets worse. So, in January of 2003, Susan had noticed that her dirty laundry was being dug through. She mentioned this to Josh, who mentioned it to his dad. And so, Steve knew that Susan knew that something was up. But dirty underwear wasn't the only thing that Steve collected from his daughter-in-law. In one of his journal entries from January 12, 2003, he said, and I quote, I know some people would think I am strange or even sick for collecting articles of Susan's lingerie, but try this one on for size. I just went to my Susan drawer and sniffed a small wad of hair I took from her hairbrush. She, he has a Susan drawer. Oh, yes. He, thank you for mentioning that he does have a Susan drawer. And in the Susan drawer, it had her dirty underwear, wads of her hair, and used tampons. I knew you were going to oh say that. I just gosh. had a feeling that was that was about to be said. Alexa, I'm eating right now. So gross. Very gross. He would dig them out of the trash and put them in little baggies. And it wasn't just one. Well, at this point, the right, son should have already tried to put a stop to this. I'm done with my dinner. That's gross. It's got a creepy shrine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So... We'll just kind of step aside from that for a second. Josh always had a hard time keeping a job because he thought he was smarter than all of his bosses and he'd tell them that he wasn't a real agreeable guy. Um, After multiple failed jobs, Josh decided he wanted to try and become a truck driver. So in July of 2003, Steve found out that Josh may be taking a job in Greeley, Colorado. That would mean Steve wouldn't see Susan anymore considering he lived in Washington. Uh-oh. So he knew he had to confess his love to her before it was too late. He wrote in his journal on July 8th, 2003, I was and have been all day going over what to say to Susan. It, like, if things don't work out with Josh, would you consider marrying me? When the possibility of no comes to my mind, my subconscious mind puts a gun in my hand and I shot myself. So he had it bad. 
What? But what does he think is going to happen with his relationship with his son? Does he not care? I would say he doesn't care as long as he can have Susan. Father of the year again. Yep. Um, But the time finally came for Steve to confess his love for Susan when a week later, Josh and Susan traveled to Kent, Washington for Josh to practice driving a semi-truck. And of course, Steve tagged along to the trucking company camcorder in hand and offered to drive Susan back to her parents' house so that she didn't have to wait there. Steve was previously messing around with a camcorder before Susan got in the car. He thought he had turned it off when he shoved it in a bag in front of Susan, but even though the video is black, it caught the audio of the whole conversation. Do you have the audio? No, but I have the transcript. Okay. So Steve said, just having you go away is really, really hard for me because it just seems like, anyway, I'm probably wrong, but I've really fallen in love with you. So 21-year-old Susan was trapped in the minivan with her 53-year-old father-in-law who just admitted he was in love with her. She tried to change the, sto- uh, change the topic, but Steve wouldn't let her, and he just continued. Maybe I've got the wrong impression from you because, well, I guess what I was wanting to really know because I'm going crazy and you're leaving, just I can't think of anything other than you. There was a very long pause, and Susan replied, I don't know where you're going with this. Steve asked if she was going to tell Josh, and she replied with, Is there anything I don't tell Josh? Steve then asked Susan if she was upset with him. She said, No, I mean, I'm glad that we talked about it and I could answer your questions and clarify any misunderstandings. Steve claimed that the waxing incident and the massage was Susan leading him on. He thought for sure she felt the same way. I mean... But she didn't. I mean... Okay. Devil's advocate. He's a creep. He's a pervert. But then again, there is no way, like I said, I don't think I'd show off my waxing to my in-laws. I mean, I don't know, Alex. I might show it off to you. Be like, but we're girls. Like, there's a difference. Right. I don't think I'd show it off. Like, I don't know. I think that's weird. And I also, there's no way I'd let my in-laws massage me. That's just. Literally nobody except Ryan at a professional is massaging me. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, she did tell Josh about it and he was furious. Uh, But his dad told him that it's not his fault. Susan was coming on to him. Like, what was he supposed to do? Josh didn't talk to his father for months, but they did eventually begin talking again. And Steve wrote in his journal that Josh had pretty much brushed off the incident. It didn't take much for me to convince Josh that she instigated my feelings for her by her little enticements. When Steve would come over, Susan would lock herself in her room and she refused to see him. Josh ended up not getting the trucking job, but Susan wanted to move far away from her father-in-law. So in December 2003, they moved to Utah. The couple to stayed. Utah. Hmm? I thought they were already in Utah. No, they're in Washington. I just set the scene. Oh, oh, okay. That was the, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So the couple stayed with Josh's sister, Jennifer, while they got settled in and found a place of their own. Jennifer was estranged from her father and was normal, unlike because- her father. Does she knew that her father had a crush on her too? This is the daughter that he was obsessed with before. Yes. I don't okay. know if she knew, but I would only assume she did. And if, the, if she didn't know, she knew that other things were wrong with him. So not long after they moved in with Jennifer, she noticed how controlling Josh was towards Susan. As I mentioned earlier, Josh was wishy-washy with his faith. 
At the time he and Susan met, he was a member of the LDS church, as was Susan. And they got married in the temple. You can only get married in the temple if you're both believers, yada, yada, yada. But within a few years of marriage, Josh stopped attending services and tried to get Susan to do the same. But she took her faith and wedding vows very seriously, so she stayed strong to both of them. But Josh started to change, like, drastically. Became a totally different person than when they started, you know, dating and got married, or so she thought. And she just wanted Josh to be the man he was when they first got married. But she believed that he was her eternal love, and she planned on keeping it that way. A few years into their marriage, Susan and Josh had two sons, Charlie and Brayden. But adding children to the family did not make things any better, as it doesn't. Um, In fact, when Susan was going into labor with their first child, she had to call her father, Chuck, to drive her to the hospital because Josh was too busy messing around on his new computer. Wow. When he finally... Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, now he's father of the year. Right. I was going to say, following in the footsteps of his dad. Yep. When he finally got to the hospital a few hours later, he brought his laptop with him. Chuck had to tell Josh to go over there and be with his wife and hold her hand. If you weren't there for the birth of our children, I mean, unless, like, you had a good reason, like, emergency or, like... Playing with the laptop. If you were playing with a laptop, I mean, it'd be pretty bad. Okay, go on. Sorry. It's okay. He literally had to be told to go over there and hold his wife's hand. It's insane. So Josh knew his wife's devotion to him, and he took full advantage of it by exerting tight-fisted control over the family's finances. He would become furious anytime Susan spent more than he thought she should on necessities, including food for herself and their two young sons. But wasn't Josh the one when they first got married that had all the debt and she was paying off all the debt or something like that? And she paid for her own wedding ring? Correct. And she still was the main breadwinner. Like he was in and out of jobs, could barely hold down a job, but he was like keeping the purse strings tight. Like it mattered her for like if this, you know, can of chili was a dollar at Publix, but then at Kroger, it was 95 cents and she didn't go to Kroger because she knew it was 95 cents. It'd be the end of the world. So Susan's solution to that was to start a garden so that she could grow food and not didn't have to spend as much money on food, but he would literally spend a crap ton of money on electronics like computers and RC cars and power tools, but would get pissed when Susan spent money on necessities and she was the one making the money. Well, why don't you get a job? Exactly. He would spend tons of money on Susan's credit, like rack up credit cards, file bankruptcy, have the debt cleared, and then just do it all over again. Um, When he actually remembered birthdays and anniversaries, Susan would receive an uniced cake. On one occasion, she received a damaged whiteboard with yellowed edges that looked like it sat on a thrift store shelf for years. And she was pissed. I'm going back to the uniced cake. Do they sell those? I feel like all you know, like he baked her a cake and just oh, like left the icing for her winner. to ice herself. Oh. Yep, winner, winner. So in 2008, Susan suggested counseling. Josh only attended two sessions. In one session, Susan's father Chuck attended uh, with her, and he and the counselor came to the conclusion that she was a victim of domestic violence, not in a physical way, but like in a psychological <laughs> and emotional way. Yeah, I could see that. Um, They would argue all the time about small things, but 
one night in June 2008, they had what Susan called the worst fight of their marriage. She called her friend, who was a stenographer, to come over and write a document on the fight. What's a... St- I'm sorry, I don't know what that is. A stenographer is like somebody who can like type really fast. Oh, okay. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was titled Susan's Deposition, and this is what it said. Josh said, The reason he is mean to Susan and hurtful, and the reason the marriage is broken is because of the Republicans and economy <laughs> and environment. This is, it's always it's always this is why he treats Susan how he does. He said that Susan is irrational, worse than her mother. Susan nitpicks and picks fights, and she is a liar. Susan said, explain, like elaborate. He said Susan went to the grocery store and said she'd spend $30, but she spent 90 Susan said that she remembered when she got there other things that they needed. She didn't have a cell phone, so she couldn't call him to get permission. And she's the one making the money. So if you have a problem with it, you get a job. But whatever. This is 2008. Oh, we did have cell phones. Right. Yeah, but he yeah. did not let her have one. Did um, he have one? Well, that's a stupid question. He got yeah. all electronics. Yeah. He, she eventually got a cell phone, but at the time, she did not have one. So the next day at work, Susan wrote out her last will and testament on a piece of notebook paper at work. In it, she noted, if I die... It may not be an accident, even if it looks like one. Take care of my boys. And she literally wrote, on, like she made a makeshift envelope, like out of notebook paper. And on the cover, it says, Susan's last will and testament. Do not let Josh read this. Have it. Well, that's a problem. Yeah. So Susan also told friends that Josh had taken out a million dollar life insurance policy on her, but like a limited one that was only for if anything happened in the next five years. All right. She also acknowledged that didn't make sense. And her friends told her that she was worth more to Josh dead than alive. They only had what? (laughs) That's most of us. Well, (laughs) 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 so they only had one car but josh did not allow susan to use it to go to work he made her ride her bike 15 miles to work every day instead so she feared this life insurance policy could be used in an accident like her getting hit by a car on her bike right i would say why didn't she leave him but i feel like she has like that what is it? Battered wife syndrome, but not even if it wasn't physical, it was still emotional. Like she probably obviously thought he was going to do something. Well, she wanted like, she wanted it to work so bad. Like she didn't want to get a, get a divorce. She was super devout in her faith. You know, she wanted to make it work. But then at the same time, it's like, she knew maybe something could happen because he's obsessed with money, yada, yada, yada. And then he's just taking out life insurance policies on his 20-something-year-old wife in case something happens in the next five years. Yeah. Like he knew something was going to happen. Exactly. So friends offered to help her and the boys get away, but Susan just really wanted to make things work. At the end of 2009, she told friends she was going to give Joss an ultimatum that if he didn't get his life together and change by their wedding anniversary in April of 2010, that she was going to go through with a divorce. But Susan wasn't able to make good on that promise because shortly after she disappeared. Dun, dun, dun. Well, given the ultimatum probably wasn't the smartest idea. But I mean, you may think 
Like, oh, it may be an accident. Da, 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 da. But like, do you really think he's going to do something? I don't, you know what I mean? Like deep down. Well, if she wrote out that last testament, obviously she thought it was a possibility. So on the morning of December 6, 2009, Susan and her two sons went to church and a neighbor came over around 5 p.m. That was the last time she was seen alive. Charlie and Brayden's babysitter, Debbie, called the police when Susan didn't drop the kids off as usual on December 7th. Debbie knew about Susan's marital issues, and Susan was always prompt on dropping the boys off, so she immediately thought something was wrong. Wait, so did the boys disappear too, or just her? Just wait. We haven't got there yet. Okay. We haven't got there yet. (laughs) Okay. Police then realized Joss and Susan hadn't went to work that morning, and both of their phones went to voicemail. So now Josh has a job and they both have phones okay okay just little things that happen when police officers arrived at the powell home nobody answered the door fearing the possibility of carbon monoxide poisoning they broke a window to get inside the home uh why did they think it would be that because nobody was home i mean a car i don't think the car was in the driveway but i don't know nobody could get in touch with them so they're like oh maybe something happened to both of them you know uh nobody was home there was no sign of struggle or anything but they did find Susan's purse on her dresser and had her wallet and ID in it. There was jewelry left out, so they rolled out a burglary. They also noticed that there were two box fans blowing towards the same wet spot on the couch in the living room. Obviously, it's December in uh, Utah, so you know it's not normal to have the fans blowing. Later the afternoon of the 7th, so the same day, Josh returns home with Charlie and Brayden. No so Susan. Yeah. According to Josh, he took the boys on an unexpected camping trip and he had no idea where Susan was. He told the police that he left his house with the boys around 1.30 to 2 o'clock in the morning and drove his car down the Pony Express trail. What? They left for a camping trip at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning? That's what he said. The boys. Uh, they were 2 and 4. There's no way we would wake up our kids at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning at 2 and 4. That's yeah, I mean, they, your kids are well, two and four, basically. Yeah. <laughs> How far away That's is like this bedtime. Um, it wasn't close because well, they finally. You, you take young kids. Would you go on a sleep. trip at one or two o'clock in the morning or would you leave at like two or four o'clock? Their bedtime's at like seven o'clock. Yeah. Like you, you would you, put you, them in the car at you, seven o'clock and let them sleep in the car. One would think. And he right. said it was so, unexpected. Okay. Yeah, so it wasn't very close because they pulled off the trail and set up camp around 4 a.m. And then woke up around 7 a.m. and made s'mores with the boys. Then all of a sudden, oopsie, he realized it was Monday instead of Sunday and he had missed work. But oh well, right? Whoopsie. He didn't, uh, you know, call into work and apologize or explain himself. He just kept meandering around. He literally just drove around like it's nuts. Like... It's it's nuts. Um, the police obviously didn't believe that, he, you know, they didn't believe him because, like you said, who takes their two and four year old sons camping at 1 a.m.? Right. And not to mention there was a snowstorm rolling in that night. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, he's lying. Yeah. Josh also told detectives <laughs> that he stopped to get his car washed on his way home from the camping trip 30 miles away from his home. But why would he get his car washed? It's snowy, the roads are salty and everything, unless he was trying to conceal evidence. Right. 
They could have tested the mud and soil and whatever on his tires and in his car to see exactly where he went, quote unquote, camping. And Josh probably knew that. Yeah. Obviously. So investigators also searched the minivan and they found a shovel, rake, broom, circular saw, folding handsaw, box cutter, gas power generator, plastic gas can, space heaters, humidifier, tarps, sled, and a fire extinguisher, among other things. Because that's what I bring to go camping. Some of those things are useful <laughs> when you're camping. Maybe some, but okay. Yeah, let's not give them the benefit of the doubt here. So they also found a pink Motorola cell phone buried under a lot of other stuff in the car's center console. I'm guessing that was hers. Yes. So they found Susan's cell phone. So while the police were questioning Josh, another detective was talking to four-year-old Charlie. He told them his mom had gone camping with them, but stayed behind in the place with the flowers and pretty crystals. Oh, man. When police confronted Josh with the statement, he told them Charlie was lying and that Susan never came with them. So what are y'all's thoughts so far? I I would think a four-year-old would know if his mom was on a camping trip. Yeah, kids are pretty overly honest at that age. I mean, so they have imaginations, but I don't know. I don't know if you make up something like that. Pretty flowers and crystals. A four-year-old boy is not going to make up. It's not part of his imagination. What are you talking about, four-year-old? Not a four-year-old Like boy. flowers and crystals, not very yeah. boy-like. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying, yes. Yeah. We, it is 2021, Adam. Not in this day. <laughs> it was not. It was 2002. Oh, that's true. We're in 2000. Okay. That was 11 years ago. The world is different 11 years ago. Okay, keep going. <laughs> okay. So... On December 10th, detectives went to talk to Steve about Susan's disappearance, just covering their bases. They didn't know he was a freaking creep or anything, but that didn't last long. Steve told detectives about his love for Susan and how when he confessed his love to her, she was upset and wouldn't talk to him anymore. He claimed that Susan's ties to the LDS church caused her to have re- or have to repress her feelings for him. Uh, He also told the police that Susan and Josh had issues early on and his whole family didn't expect them to last very long. Police then asked Steve if it was possible if Susan would have come to Washington to be with him or or another man. Steve's response? I loved that. I loved her dearly as a daughter. I loved her dearly as a woman. I mean, she's beautiful. And yeah, she, I was conflicted about her too. I'll admit that. Police asked him if they could search his house. He agreed, and they didn't find anything to indicate that Susan had been there. On the same day that Steve was being interviewed, Josh was seeing a physical therapist about a shoulder issue. Josh had been in a car accident in September of that year and had been seeing a chiropractor due to neck and back pain, not shoulder pain. Maybe he hurt himself. Disposing of a body. That's what I'm thinking. Exactly. Cleaning up blood stain in the house. That's why the fans are on there. Mm-hmm. So now a few days after Susan's disappearance, he was diagnosed with a rotator cuff strain and likely a partial tear of a rotator cuff tendon. A what they said a very unlikely injury to have been caused by a low speed fender bender. So yeah, I don't know, a struggle while trying to kill your wife, trying to carry her body by himself, digging a hole. Who knows? Now, did the cops go to the campsite? Okay. So thank you for asking. Or am I jumping ahead? I don't mean to jump ahead. You're jumping ahead, but 
my apologies. I was about to say it, so you're not that far. So police began focusing on the area around where Josh said they had been camping, but they also took into account what Charlie said about the pretty crystals. The Dugway Geode beds are located off the Pony Express Trail, which is the same trail that he said they camped on. And there are a lot of abandoned mines in that area. Mm. Josh could have easily dumped her body down an abandoned mine, like an abandoned mine shaft, and the likelihood of finding her would be very slim. He actually said so himself. At a Christmas party for Susan's work, he was talking to the husband of one of her uh, Susan's co-workers about true crime TV shows. He said, those shows are so dumb. Those people always put the bodies in the stupidest places. It's so obvious. If it was me, have you ever been out to the West Desert? There's mines everywhere. Nobody's going to find anything out there. Well, (laughs) that's pretty incriminating, but okay. Yep. The police searched dozens and dozens of mines all over and came up with nothing. They called the mine search off at the end of 2010, a year after Susan's disappearance. As time went on, Josh and Susan's oldest son, Charlie, began saying some strange things that caught the attention of some adults around him. He told an employee of the YMCA a story on how to kill a bear. He explained that the best way to kill a bear was to dig a big hole and put the bear into it, then throw rocks on it, cover it with a tree so no one can see it, and then he said you have to plant a raspberry bush over it, and that's how you kill it. He also told us that those are the best raspberries because of the bear underneath. When they asked him how he knew this, he told them it was because I saw someone do it. When they asked uh, when he saw somebody do that, he hesitated and said, um on TV. A week later, he told another employee that it was important to kill Mormons. Keep in mind, Susan was a Mormon. Wait, who said it was important? The the son or? Okay. Yeah. Charlie. When Charlie was enrolled at the YMCA, a rock and gemstone club and kindergarten, Josh told all the administrators that Susan or any member of her family were not allowed to pick up the boys. But why would he say this? To pretend like he doesn't know where Susan is? Did he not kill her? What do you think? Um, what? I don't know what to think right now. I don't know what to think either. Like, at one point, I almost want to say I feel like his dad's in on it. I feel like they both are in on it. Did the son say anything about his granddad being there? No. It was just his mom, his dad, and his brother. Uh, well, maybe not. I I don't know. I feel like I would listen a lot to, I know he's only four years old, but I don't know. I just. It's a weird thing to make up, right? It's a weird thing that I feel like a four-year-old, I don't know. I feel like that's a very honest stage of life. Yes, they have an imagination, but. But Amelia a- would know if you went on a camping trip with them. We can't keep a secret at all. If you want a secret to get out, you got to tell her. Yeah. So like, that's what I'm saying. Like I, obviously I feel like Josh did it. I mean, I was going to say, I feel like they did it together, but if he didn't mention his granddad being there, then maybe it was just Josh, but to do it in front of your boys, it's even more messed up. All right. Or maybe the dad was there. The granddad was there, and he was the one throwing the ro- the rocks on top of the bear, and that's who he saw. He saw someone do it, and he didn't oh, know who that someone but it was. No, you're right. It could have. 
that's a really good theory. So the police continued searching for Susan in the deserts of Utah and Nevada. They got search warrants for Steve's home where Josh and the boys were living at the time. They found home videos taken by Steve that showed secret recordings of Susan's body parts and video diaries in which he smelled her underwear and expressed his love and sexual feelings towards her. They also found computer disks containing images of women and young girls that focused on their private parts. As a result, Steve was arrested for voyeurism and child pornography charges, and Josh lost custody of Charlie and Brayden. Custody was given to Susan's parents, Chuck and Judy, but Josh had supervised visitation once a week. Due to the findings at his father's home and finding what was described as incestuous cartoon porn on Josh's computer, Josh was ordered to take a psychosexual evaluation. But before he was scheduled to take that test, he still had uh, supervised visitations with his sons. Wait, so I'm getting the two confused. So like they found video of her body parts at Steve's house or at Josh's house? At Steve's house. That Steve okay. had taken of and, Susan but and they other found, random girls. But they found evidence of incest at Josh's house. It was on Josh's computer. Josh was living at his dad's house at the time. Okay. So it could have still been Steve's, but it was on Josh's computer. Or do we not know who's correct? Stuff it is? So it was actually determined to belong to the person whose computer it was before. So it was a used computer. So it ended up not even being Josh's, but as a result of what they found at his dad's house and on his computer thinking it was his, he lost custody of the boys. Which I could see because you're putting your children in an unsafe environment. Correct. Got it. So one of the days of his supervised visitation was February 5th, 2012. A social worker who was supervising the visit brought Charlie and Brayden over to Josh's house. When they got to the door, Josh opened it and told the kids he had a surprise for them. They ran in quickly and Josh slammed the door behind them, locking the social worker out of the home. Knowing exactly what Josh was suspected of doing to his wife, the social worker called 911 immediately. And we're going to listen to the actual 911 call. Oh my gosh, this is going to be creepy. Yep. Hey, I'm on a supervised visitation for a court-ordered visit, and something really weird has happened. The kids went into the house, and the parent, the biological parent, whose name is Josh Powell, will not let me in the door. What should I do? What's the address? It's 8119, and I I think it's 89th. Um, I, I don't know what the address is. Okay, that's pretty important for me to know. Um, sorry, I can't, just gonna, let me get in my car and see if I can, if I can find it. I'm, this, nothing like this has ever happened before at, um, these visitations, so I'm really, um, shocked, and I could hear one of the kids crying, but he still wouldn't let me in. Okay, it is, uh, one, oh, I have it here. You can't find me by GPS? No. Okay, it is, um, 
Is she alone then, or is anybody? I else? don't know. I couldn't get in the house. Are you in a vehicle now or on foot? I'm in a vehicle. I'm in a Prius, on, um, a 2010 Prius. Which color with is the door is locked. If you won't, he hasn't opened the door. I rang the doorbell and everything. What, what color I are begged you? him to let me in. Elizabeth, please listen to my questions. What color is the Toyota Prius? Gray, dark gray. And the license number? Um, I don't know. I can look. Zebra Mary Henry? Yes. All right, we'll have somebody look for you there. Okay, how long will it be? I don't know, ma'am. They have to respond to emergency, life-threatening situations first. The first available deputy... Well, this, is, this could be life-threatening. He went to court on Wednesday, and he, he didn't get his kids back. And this is really... I'm, a, I'm afraid for their lives. Okay, has he threatened the lives of the children previously? I have no idea. All right. We'll have the first available deputy contact you. Thank you. Bye. Okay, so that was the first call. All right, I'm about to play the second call. It's a lot shorter, okay? Okay. Intentionally? 
I am livid. Yeah, I want to hear all of your thoughts. What are your thoughts? You go first. I, I'm livid right now. And go for it. She warned the first guy that she smelt gasoline and he was just on trial and lost custody of his kids. One, the guy's an idiot. She had to repeat herself like a billion times. I don't know why he was asking some of the questions he was asking, delaying time. She said, I smelt gasoline. The kids were in danger. And he was talking to her like, maybe because he's a man and she's a woman, but that she was freaking out for no reason. And obviously, if he just Googled this guy's name, he would find out that he it was a possibility he murdered his wife. And she said she smelt gasoline and that she thought the kids were in danger. And then he blew up the house. And they were still taking their time to get there. And then they didn't even believe her that it made it seem like they didn't believe her that she knew there was a man and two children in the house. What really pissed me off was that he was like, what? You can't supervise yourself. How right. many times did she say Josh's name? And he's like, yeah. wait, what? An you what? What's his name? What? How tall is he? How much does he weigh? What color Why is your Prius? What's your license plate number like are you kidding me right and then they obviously didn't send anyone she said the kids are in danger he basically kidnapped his own kids that he doesn't have custody of correct yep and she said i smell gasoline Mm -hmm. and they didn't see the urgency together and now the house is on fire so it was later determined that he hit the boys in the back of the neck with a hatchet to incapacitate them, poured gas on their bodies and all around the house, and then set it on fire, causing the explosion. Oh, my gosh. And it said that all of their causes of death were, or was carbon carbon monoxide poisoning and smoke inhalation. So they were all alive, you know, until they weren't. Yeah. Now, did he die, too? Was it like suicide? It was, yep. And was the father in the house as well? No, no. So this was, so Josh had gotten a house. So this was years later. So they were, the boys were uh, five and seven at this point. They were two and four when Susan disappeared. Okay. So three years later. Yeah. So one year, almost to the day after Josh's murder suicide, his brother, Michael also committed suicide by jumping off the top level of a parking garage. Michael had been interviewed multiple times after they found out he sold his car for $100 to a salvage yard only two weeks after Susan's murder. Once the police retrieved the car, the dog, like cadaver dogs, hit on the smell of decomposition in the trunk. So they questioned him about whether or not he helped his brother move Susan's body. He told investigators that even if he knew anything, he wouldn't tell them. That makes you look guilty. Exactly. And it was never confirmed, like, 
what exactly was in the trunk. Uh, but the blood, like they did find blood stains, like they luminoled, you know, like they made it glow blue on the yeah. sofa that the fans were pointing to at their house. But it was like on the headrest and it wasn't a ton of blood, but it was Susan's blood. This family. Um, Steve Powell was sentenced to a total of seven years for the charges of voyeurism and child pornography. He was released in July of 2017, but died a year later of heart problems. Detectives took Josh's murder-suicide as an admission of guilt, and he remains the only suspect in Susan's disappearance. And to this day, her body has never been found. And that's it. That's the story of Susan Powell. Wow. Poor woman. Poor kids. What are your thoughts, Adam? You're so You're so quiet. You don't have any thoughts? No. No? No. Oh, please. What are your thoughts? I don't have any. It's a messed up story. It is a messed up story. Like, you think it's going to take one, like, Steve is a straight freaking creep. And you're like, oh, this is going to go in one direction. And then it's like, And it also makes you think, like, obviously he raised his sons. So... But it almost makes you think, like, is that psychological thing, like, I don't know. Like, he was messed up. His kids were messed up. Is that, like, a psychological thing? Or is it just because they they were raised by him? I don't I don't know. So Like twisted. nature versus nurture? Yeah. That's so twisted. It is twisted. I feel so bad for those boys. I know. Not only and that did they- freaking dispatcher. Right. Oh my gosh. I feel bad. Well, I feel bad for the woman who called. Like, she was she, way more patient with him than I would have been. Oh, I know. I know. I would have probably called like five times and been like, where are you? Yeah, or just later. Or just like hang up and try to get somebody else. <laughs> like, I want to know how she is. She probably had to go to therapy. Oh, she, for sure. She probably quit her job. Oh, I would. For sure. I would quit my job. If I would say she definitely that. blames herself. But she tried. Like, I feel like I blame the dispatcher. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not her fault at all. I mean, she was walking one step behind him. He told the kids to, oh, come inside. Mm -hmm. I have a surprise for you. Right. Freaking jerk. Oh, my goodness. She should have broke into the house. Such messed up world we live in. Do y'all have any last minute thoughts? No, I feel like I'm going to have nightmares tonight. I'm going to be thinking about this. Thanks, Alexa. If I don't sleep, <laughs> it's your fault. I'm just kidding. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for being on here. <laughs> Thanks for inviting us. Yeah. And as always, like and share and leave a review. Five stars <laughs> Thank on all the platforms. Yeah, y'all like and subscribe and what, yeah, leave a review. Yes. Thank you. So I don't have to say it. And join it, join the Facebook <laughs> and chat. Let's let's join the Facebook page and chat about this i'm i'm not done talking about it let's go chat holly is an active member of the facebook page i so. am i am not <laughs> not yet <laughs> I <love this>. <laughs> <laughs> adam and i weren't even facebook friends for like years <laughs> You've known each other. i i'm pretty sure i was facebook friends with you before i was facebook friends with adam Probably. more than likely <laughs> that's how i roll Okie dokie. Well, like they said, 
rate, review, subscribe, all the things, and come back next week for another episode of Murder in the Mountains. See ya. Y'all gonna say bye? Oh, oh bye. <laughs> bye. Why does nobody want to say bye? I thought that was perfect. I didn't know we were supposed to say bye too. Of course. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.